1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: I tell you frequently that the NFL is the best reality show on TV, and Week 14 did not disappoint. Man, you could write a movie script, take it to a table reading, take it to an audition, and people would not believe what they were practicing. They wouldn't believe what they were reading. They wouldn't believe what was written. And yet that's the NFL from the category of you can't make this stuff up. There are some movie scripts in the making in the NFL this season. It's an Italian thing, you know, what is your favorite movie script in the making from the NFL so far this season? And there are a lot of candidates. I don't want to give any of my faves because I want to hear from you and You all are weighing in on both Twitter, After Hours CBS, as well as our Facebook page. We've even seen some of your gifts. If you would like to know what an Italian thing is exactly, it's an Italian thing. If you would like to know what that means, that's also on our show Twitter in gift form. And many of you responding to the text mom sent me on Monday. I'm not going to share it on the air, but you can find it on our Twitter and Facebook as well. She is a hoot. (laughs) Now there's a countdown. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Good morning to you. It is Tuesday, December 12th. Do you know what that means? Are you ready? Are you ready? First of all, it means Jay has to eat broccoli within 24 hours. But much more importantly, we're exactly two months to the morning of the Super Bowl. Two months, babes! What's up, babes? Two months until Vegas is all the rage. Well, more than usual. Two months until, oh my gosh, we've had two weeks. In exactly two months' time, we'll have gone through two weeks of Super Bowl preview, and most of us will be ready to stick a fork in our eyes. That's how I feel about two weeks of Super Bowl run-up. Stop it. Make it stop. Can we just kick off the game already?
3: What's up, buds?
2: <laughs> now, this year, we will be on Radio Row in Las Vegas with After Hours. We got a special corporate partner that is helping us to get to Vegas. Pretty excited about that. We'll give you more details once we get to January. Once we get into the tournament, maybe you've heard There's actually one team that's clinched its playoff spot. Two teams eliminated officially. That would be the Patriots and the Panthers. Uh, Right now, it's not a category you want to be in. But it's the San Francisco 49ers who punched their ticket to the playoffs first by virtue of what happened on Monday Night Football. So, are you ready to dive in? Because if you went to bed early, which you probably did go to bed earlier if you have to wake up at this hour, if you're already percolating... Maybe you definitely need that coffee to be percolating. If you crashed out because you thought, oh, yeah, I mean, the Dolphins are up by 14 points with five minutes to go. What could possibly happen? ruh Yeah, these were some good finishes. Week 14 gave us a whole lot of drama, a whole lot of movie script material. So, again, what's your favorite movie script in the making from the NFL so far this season? On Twitter, on Facebook, and right here. Uh, on CBS Sports Radio, because I know it's an Italian thing. After the Tennessee Titans committed a pair of fumbles, well, a pair of turnovers, shall we say. One was a muffed punt. But after the Titans had a pair of turnovers midway through the fourth quarter, and Raheem Mostert and the Dolphins turned them both into touchdowns, the Dolphins were sitting pretty. They had 14 points off turnovers in fewer than 90 seconds. Yeah, that's not a recipe for... Winning, if you're the Titans. It was like they handed the ball to a a Dolphins offense that was scuffling without Tyreek Hill. He takes the top off the defense. It's one of my favorite phrases in the NFL. You hear analysts say it every now and then. He takes the top off the defense. I sound so cool when I say it. I don't use the word Luke, but I do take the top off the defense. So without an able-bodied Tyreek Hill, he was on the field there in the fourth quarter, but he was dealing with an ankle injury. Without him... And with a pair of offensive linemen missing for the Dolphins, the Titans had put a ton of pressure on Tua, and it really limited that potent offense for the Dolphins. But after all the work they'd done on defense, what do they do? 14 points off turnovers in the fourth quarter. Oh, that's tough. Except that was not even remotely the end of the story. Four and a half minutes to go, and all of a sudden it was the Titans. It was Will Levis who looked like they had switched It was an out-of-body experience. They'd switched bodies with the Dolphins. First and goal at the two. Levis looks, 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 pumps, steps up, looks, throws. Caught! Touchdown! Titans! DeAndre Hopkins! Oh, remember that guy? Mike Heath on the Titans radio network. You know the guy that you probably haven't heard a whole lot about or maybe you don't really pay a lot of attention to. The running back, Ty Spears, is out there catching a few passes, moving the chains. All right, Spears is your number one option on a fourth-quarter drive that results with D hop into the end zone. Okay, so making it interesting. They get the two-point conversion. Now they're within a score, except they're giving the ball back to the Dolphins. They're running out of time. You know what happens? The Dolphins go three and out in 25 seconds. That's it, 25 seconds. I mean, heck, a lot of teams in the NFL can do that. That's just not what we've seen from the Dolphins so far this season. But Tua was under siege in that fourth quarter. And other than Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan, I mean, they, they had some room to run, but that's all the Titans defense would give them. It was the D-line that was controlling that line of scrimmage for Tennessee. And that defense gives the ball right back to Will Levis and the Titans. Now see, here's the thing. I do think the Titans looked real good offensively last night, but I also don't think it's rocket science. Well, they looked good offensively late. They, they had three turnovers themselves, but they looked in sync. They looked fluid. And you know why? You know what? They went back to the bread and butter which is give the ball to Derrick Henry. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Use your weapons. Use your words. <laughs> so on the final possession for the Titans, they go back to DeAndre Hopkins, a 36-yard connection between Levis and DeHop, and then just hand the ball to your bell cow. This is second down. Yeah. Give Henry...
3: Turning the left side. Diving. Touchdown. Tight though. <laughs> Derrick Henry has knotted the count with 149 to go. On a three-yard
2: run. Yeah, it's not complicated. When you have a guy like Derrick Henry, just give him the ball. Two touchdowns for Derrick in their comeback, but the go-ahead score, and because they'd had the two-point conversion on the previous drive, they only needed the kick to break that tie. They had a short field because the Dolphins had gone three and out and gained almost no yardage. It really works so perfectly when everything falls into place. The defense is making quick work, handing the ball right back to the quarterback and the offense. You use the run game. You use your weapons. You have a short field because the defense has done its job. Yeah, it was a thing of beauty. I know the Titans aren't going anywhere this season, but those last five minutes, everything falling into place for Tennessee, for Will Levis, for Mike Vrabel. Now, the Dolphins did still have 90 seconds left on the clock, but as I say, this was a night in which Tua had very little time to do any work.
3: From just outside the 45-yard line, excuse me, fourth down, less than three. Tugabaloa looking to throw, he stumbles, he's wrapped up by Harold Landry, taken down! The Titans' defense stops them on fourth down and three. Harold Landry and the rest of the Titans' defense smothers Tunga Bailoa. We've got some some great leaders that have been around and, and helped us win some, some really cl- tough, close games. And, uh, you know, you just got to remember that you know, when you come on a road and you're, you know, whatever situation you're in is about giving yourself a chance and we did that and make it a game and find a way to win it late and I guess it was disappointing because we were doing that and then you know the mistakes that put us down and then to the players credit they responded
2: I don't know if Mike Vrabel keeps his job past this year it's 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 been kind of tough there the last couple seasons I know they've had some quarterback changes. Will Levis appears to be a guy that they want to ride with moving forward. Ryan Tannehill probably done there. But you still have Derrick Henry in what I would say is the prime of his career. Late stages of the prime of his career, but he can still truck, guys. He can still move the ball effectively. Whether you're Wildcat direct snapping or you're handing off to him, he gets stuff done. And when a defense has to to try to stuff the box or put, I don't know, nine, ten guys on the line... I mean, that would be ludicrous. But if they want to go crazy to try to stop him, well, Levis can throw the ball. 327 yards for him, a couple of late touchdown drives for the rookie QB. And yeah, when you think about the Titans and and how much they've suffered, especially away from home, this was their first road win of the year. Man, a victory like this over a division leader when you rally from 14 points down in the final five minutes, oh, it can mean everything.
3: This is a big confidence booster for us, for sure. I mean, this is not the you know record we would hope to have at this point in the season. Um, not the position we'd hope to be in, um, in the playoff race and all that. But all we can do is just keep pushing. And we talked about that all week. And we had opportunity to come and, and spoil their party. And, um, you know, be a really good football team and build confidence going forward. And, and I'm so glad we were able to do that.
0: It's the NFL. Anything can happen. Um, we got to do a better job finishing the game with the time that we had while we had the ball. Um, not allowing their opposing team's offense to to get that opportunity to go down and potentially score. Um, It's a team sport. Can't blame one side, but I would say from an offensive standpoint, there's things that uh, we could have done a lot better uh, to not have gone through what we've gone through tonight.
2: Yeah, Tua mentioned the fact that they lost a couple offensive linemen, and so the pressure was there. He's not generally been hit a lot this year. In fact, there are entire games where a defensive player never touches him. That's how good the Dolphins O-line has been. But last night, seven QB hits, five sacks, under siege, and again, without Tyree Kill out there on the field, the issue was that you didn't have a guy who could take a ball and make plays. And without Tyreek Hill, well, then the defense can collapse on a Jalen Waddle and some of the other options. Though, again, they're up by 14 with five minutes to go. That is the type of collapse that makes people question whether or not the Dolphins are ready to be a Super Bowl contender. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, Dolphins do still lead the AFC East, but one of six division leaders to lose in a single NFL weekend. It's only ever happened one other time in the Super Bowl era, and the Baltimore Ravens nearly made it seven had they not pulled out that overtime victory against the Rams. Green Bay, New York. Giants-Packers at MetLife Stadium, another game of Monday Night Football. They're running concurrently. Neither one of these teams is above 500, though the Packers had played better of a late. Giants just wanted to play that same role of spoiler that the Titans did. So, again, the twists and turns at the end of this game. Saquon Barkley fumbles with four minutes to go and gives the ball back to the Packers as they're trying to rally after they had been real sloppy turnovers themselves in the early stages of this game
3: love waiting for the snap from Myers Taylor moves to the quarterback's right here's the snap rush on throw to the left side of the end zone How it's caught the pylon and the officials are is it a touchdown or not it is yes. a touchdown yes. it is a touchdown it is a touchdown malik heath on the reception, wow!
2: Hmm, Wayne Larravee on Packers Radio. So yeah, the, the Packers are able to, well they feel like, they're snatching victory from the jaws of defeat after how poorly they played, and yet there they are, gifted a turnover by Saquon Barkley and the Giants, and they're able to get down the field, shorter field of course, and Malik Heath catches the go-ahead score from Jordan Love. So it's 22-21. to Ah, uh, there's 90 seconds left on the clock. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? It's Tommy DeVito, right? Except don't tell Tommy DeVito he's just Tommy DeVito.
3: DeVito's in the gun, his own 46, second down, and one shotgun. Snap pocket crumbles one pass. Far side caught over the shoulder. It's at the 35 and down the sideline, the 30. Robinson running down that far sideline. Caught the ball in stride. Gets to the Green Bay 23. 32 yard catch and run. What a throw by DeVito. Snap is good. Kick on its way. End over end and it is good. And the Giants have beaten the Packers 24-22. Tommy DeVito does it. And Bullock finishes it off. What a win by the Giants. The DeVito family going crazy. Kansas City may have Taylor Swift. For Jersey and New York, I'll take the DeVito's any day. Munja!
0: You enjoy it when it's now come like this, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I enjoy being on the field any play, no matter what play it is. So I'm just trying to enjoy it.
2: There is no doubt. You can see it all over his face, Munja. It's an Italian thing. If you don't know what that means, uh, you can find the gif. I mean, it's, it's so authentic. It's unbelievable. It's not like he. Honestly, I don't think this is a guy who ever thought he'd be in this position, so it's not like he found himself some touchdown celebration. Now nah, he's just doing what comes naturally to DeVito. He is unabashedly Tommy DeVito. That's who he is, and he's made four straight starts now. He's having the time of his life. He, he means it. Even if he's out there and he throws a pick, I'm still out here on an NFL field on national TV guiding his Giants. His Giants. Now, are these not Tommy DeVito's Giants?
3: I think they are. Wow,
2: movie script in the making, you guys. And yes, he does have a cousin named Danny. So Tommy DeVito, with his Italian agent, who's dressed in all black with a gold or with a silver chain around his neck, he looks like something out of a mob movie. And yet he and his dad, or he and Tommy DeVito's dad, are exchanging big old smooches on the cheek every time the son does something incredible. Manja. It's so Italian. It's so authentic. Hey, we do the whole Italian thing in my family. So does Jay. We've been flashing the Italian thing all night long Oh yeah, here in our studios. It's kind of funny. So check it out on our show, Twitter, after hours, CBS. This was a blow for the Packers. I mean, they're still right there in the mix, but they took a step back, especially with the Vikings winning three, nothing over the Raiders. So, all right, Niners are in. Everything else is a crap shoot on Twitter, on Facebook. Where is the best movie script in the making? From the NFL through week 14. Straight ahead, David Sampson hates, hates the Shohei Ohtani contract. And he will tell us why. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.
3: You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. A pitch to Ohtani, and he burns them. And tonight on this Monday night, it is Showtime. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
2: Showtime stays on the West Coast, which I actually think is good for baseball. Stays in the same market, but definitely changes uniforms and changes colors. As you know. No athlete in any sport, in any country, has ever received a contract quite like this one. $700 million over 10 years, and yet what we found out on Monday, shocking. Even more shocking than the total value of the contract is how much of it... He will not earn anytime soon. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio, Terry Smith on Angels Radio. And without further ado, we are pleased to welcome our friend David Sampson, longtime Marlins president, now nothing personal podcast with David Sampson. And he never holds back. So should I just say, ready, set, go, tee you up, just let's go. What do you think?
4: I think that there are about 27 teams who are very, very unhappy. I think that Shohei did something here that really shows what he thought about the Los Angeles Angels, that's for sure. Because he asked for a contract and took a contract that Mm -hmm. the Angels never could have offered.
2: And why is that? Why is that?
4: Because Artie Moreno is looking to sell the team. And if you've got that much money deferred out, that becomes a big negotiating point when you are – Selling your team because a new owner, let's say a new owner comes in in six years, they only have to pay Otani two million a year for four years. That's fantastic. <laughs> but then for ten years after that, when this new owner owns the team, he's paying sixty-eight million dollars per year to a player who's not playing for the team. I want to make sure that everybody understands that when Otani gets that sixty-eight million dollars. Each year for 10 years, he's not going to be playing for the team. Right. And if someone is buying, owns that team, who's a new owner, they don't want that responsibility. So they're going to have the old owner pay for that. I'm going to explain this in more detail in this segment on, on this morning. It's nothing personal. But the main point to you is that the structure of this deal is legal. No question about it. It doesn't violate the CBA. Okay. It doesn't violate tax law. It doesn't violate anything other than financial fair play as defined by 30 owners. So the biggest issue for baseball is that you will have owners angry with each other, and that's not good for bargaining.
2: Okay, well, let me ask you this, David. The Angels are selling, so it makes sense that they wouldn't be able to do a contract like this, but... It actually feels to me like other teams could do a contract like this if not the Dodgers because Otani's going to make money for the club wherever he goes. So why are so many other teams angry about a a contract structure like this one?
4: Because you have to be in a situation where you can guarantee two things when you defer money like this. And don't forget who the owners of the Dodgers are. They're an insurance company. Guggenheim partners, they are they own insurance, they are they are venture capitalists. They're owned by a conglomerate of people. Okay. I would like to point out that our owner, Jeffrey Loria, if he deferred sixty eight million dollars per year there are rules that show you have to segregate those funds. Ah. That's a rule in the collective bargaining agreement. Okay. So the Dodgers have to find a way to find a fund, to find cash, where they take all the money that is owed to Shohei Ohtani and they put it in a separate account. Most people can't do that. Gotcha. Most individual owners cannot have that money and then not touch it. That's the actual rule. It's not often said by commissioner, I want to see, like the Washington Nationals, who have a lot of players with deferred contracts. He doesn't go to the Lerner family who owns the Nationals and say, hey, show me an account that has all the money you deferred to Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg Mm -hmm. and keep that account in place. Don't touch it. Don't invest it. Don't move it. Show it to me. That's the real rule, but they don't enforce it that way. Ah. But still, you have to show the commissioner once a year that you have every dollar that you are deferring somewhere. Not all owners have that. It's Interesting. absolutely difficult to get that amount of money in cash and just show it as, as existing. You can't show a Picasso. You can't show a building that you own or a yacht that you own. It has to be cash in an account. Very few owners have $680 million in cash In an account. Very few.
2: Okay. That makes sense because you, so it's not like you can rob Peter to pay Paul. It can't be a pyramid scheme here. You actually have to have the money and you have to be able to show it to the commissioner that you have it at least once a year. Okay. So that makes more sense. David Sampson, longtime Marlins president, is with us here after hours CBS Sports Radio. You do mention a couple of guys who have a lot of deferred money. We also know, for instance, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, Dodgers, you know, roster also have deferred contracts. How common. Is at least the deferred money portion, if not the total amount?
4: It's an incredibly irresponsible thing to do. What we would do is backload contracts. Backloading a contract is when you sign a guy to a $30 million deal over three years, and instead of paying him 10, 10, 10, you pay him 2, 5, and then 23 <laughs> in the last year. Because you say to yourself, hey, three years from now, either our attendance will be so much better because we will have won that we'll be able to afford a $23 million player, or we'll just trade them. And so we, we have that issue with many players, from Carlos Delgado to, I can name plenty, who we have to trade who were backloaded. However, if you're asking me what the advantage is for the Dodgers and what the disadvantage is for the other teams... The disadvantage is that the Dodgers get to pay him $2 million cash. And from a CBT standpoint, which is the the number that everybody looks at inside baseball, they they don't look at any of the other analytic numbers if you're an owner, but CBT. What is the actual competitive balance tax payroll of a team? Mm -hmm. The Dodgers are paying him $46 million next year. That's the way that every team inside baseball looks at it. $46 million is the amount that will count okay. toward how much luxury tax the Dodgers pay.
2: Okay. Well, considering what Shohei brings to the table, is that reasonable?
4: That is the highest number. So the highest player before that was Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And what the at 40 points at 43. And Shohei wanted to get above that number. This was not all about winning. This was not all about location. This contract was all about money. And I love Shohei, I have great respect for Shohei's ability. But let's be clear he found a team to give him $46 million a year for 10 years when there's no guarantee that he will ever be a top-of-the-line starter again. Cool. He had two Tommy John surgeries. Only Nathan Evaldi and very few others have come back from two. So it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play a position. You are taking up your designated hitter slot for a decade at $46 million a year. This is a contract that not every team could do, and if the Dodgers get it wrong, you know what? They can cover their mistake because of their revenue, their ability to spend, and they can sign someone else. You think that the, the Royals, the Guardians, the Marlins, 27 teams couldn't do that deal.
2: But isn't that the case, though, with the majority of these 10- to 13-year deals that are now three hundred, four hundred million million, $400 million? Aren't, I mean, it's, I know it's different with Shohei and it's historic, but aren't we generally talking about the same five or six teams in Major League Baseball who can afford these high-priced players?
4: And that's the problem why I worry about owner-v-owner owner fighting come next collective bargain agreement. You're exactly correct. This Shohei deal is just everyone is reacting to it because it looks so extreme. Personally, I don't think baseball should have approved this contract because it is so extreme. It looks bad. There's something that tastes wrong about this contract. It feels more unfair than it is. And by the way, financially, the Dodgers are in a position that my owner never was in. The Dodgers can take all $680 million that they owe him, and they can take that money today as part of the assets of the underlying company of the owners of that team. And they can invest it and lock in treasury bill rates right now, lock in interest rates over the, for the next 20 years, and they make a huge profit, huge profit, on the money they owe Shohei. So that's mm-hmm. a great business deal right. that Shohei Otani allowed them to pay him later because they can be disciplined and actually make money on it. Amy, I'm sorry this is becoming finance at this early in the morning, but the (laughs) difference with Bobby Bonilla is how much interest they paid to Bobby Bonilla. If Shohei Ohtani took interest on the money he was deferring, that's Shohei Ohtani giving the owners of the Dodgers his money to invest, and then they would pay him back over time. I got you. There's no interest on this money. So if you invest it and get interest, you make money. But they're using Shohei's money to make money.
2: (laughs) Well, and he is going to make the money, too, to be sure. David Sampson is with us here after hours, CBS Sports Radio. Let me ask you this. If you're still running a team, what would you have offered? Or what do you think would have been a competitive offer? If not this one, what was he worth then?
4: I've said from the beginning that as a middle-of-the-order hitter, he is one of the best hitters in the game. And what the hitters are getting are between – 35 and 40 million dollars. So there is a world where he gets a 10 year, 400 million dollar contract. As a pitcher, before the injury, he's a top of the rotation pitcher. There is a world where I see him as a 30 to 40 million dollar pitcher, but only for five years, not 10 years. So I could understand someone going to 50 million dollars per year. I could see it. But then when he got hurt, I really discounted the fact that he was going to pitch again. And I would have offered him a deal 30 to 35 million as a hitter. Uh, And then I would have offered him two or $3 million per start as a starter. And that sounds like a crazy amount, but that's how sure I am that he wasn't going to start 30 games a year for me for, for nine years. And I say nine, because we already know he's not going to pitch next year. Right. So So that leaves nine years left. And the only team that can do that is a team that has huge payrolls. So you're only talking about the top five teams because you can't have one player making that much money. Now you say he's only making $2 million, but that's a very dangerous way to look at it.
2: Right. Agree. All right, David, so about... 90 seconds to go. What do you think generally will be the impact? Is this an aberration? For instance, I'll use the Deshaun Watson contract in the NFL. It's not going to change the NFL. There was talk of that at the time. But now looking at the fact that he's made only a handful of starts, the Browns just look like idiots, right? And that's, this is why NFL teams don't do it. How will this impact baseball, if at all?
4: See, that's funny. I thought the Browns looked like idiots before he even took the field.
2: Well, of course. But now we know for sure. So,
4: so now we know exactly. Now we know. <laughs> Uh, that they're idiots on and off the field, uh, which, is, which is even more insulting to them, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I said the same thing on Nothing Personal, Amy, which um, you are sleeping when it goes on, but I can tell you that I said the exact same, which is everyone who thought this would impact all the free agents who were waiting to sign until Otani so they could snuggle in right under Otani to all the teams that they're negotiating with. The other teams looked at this and said, get out of here. Not doing any. What, what do you think, uh, Blake Snell? You're going to get $626 million? or Or Scott Boris said, hey, you want Bellinger, Toronto? You can have him for $699 million. Congratulations. <laughs> Toronto would tell him to pound sand, and I hope they do tell him that. So I, I think it's exactly like the Watson contract. This is sort of the high of the high, and everything else doesn't come close.
2: There is never a moment where we are bored when we talk to our friend David Sampson, (laughs) longtime Marlins president. He's going to have a whole lot more to say. And actually, since I have an accounting degree, I followed all of those finances. That was fascinating to me. Uh, You can find the Nothing Personal podcast and David on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Uh, I don't think I'll talk to you again before the holidays. So happy holidays to you. And thank you, as always, for choosing our show where you can
4: unload. I love it. And I was going to start talking discount rate. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> all right, we'll save that scintillating topic for next time, my friend.
4: I'm sorry, that was pretty technical.
2: <laughs> I loved it. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Wait, do you think that the noise that we heard around the United States of America is people either rolling their eyes out back in their heads for all the financial talk this early, or the fact that I'm all giddy and and so the accounting talk just it appeals to my my right hand brain wait is right hand creative or left hand creative which one's the creative side cuz i got both i got both working i've got the analytical perfectionist accounting brain but i've also got the goofy radio host stream of consciousness spaghetti plate brain working
3: my guest is my guess is your left. guest is my
2: guest your guest is <laughs> my guest is do we is have left. a guest <laughs> we had
1: one we just <laughs>
2: All right, coming up, your candidates for TD of the week. And, oh, guess what? We've got a sad sap of the week. Well, we've actually got two. Two sad saps of the week. It's that time of the year. Creative is right. Creative is right. That's what I thought. Left is analytical. Right is creative.
3: You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking
0: for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
3: It's a Touchdown Tuesday on After Hours. Firing for the end zone. Caught! Touchdown! Touchdown! Takes it himself to the power! Touchdown! One man to beat 10! He's gone! They throw in the end zone! Caught! Touchdown! Made hey, the guy missed. He's inside the 5. He's still the 3 to one Tops! The center's helping into the end zone! Touchdown! To cast your vote for the TD of the Week, head to at CBS on Twitter or give us a call at 855-212-4227. The Cleveland Browns. Flacco on fourth down and three. Play clock is at five. I don't know if they're going to snap it. Play clock is at two. They do. He rolls right. He throws the middle. It's wide open. Down at the 25, at the 20, 15, 10 down it's david bell oh my goodness they forgot to cover david bell the tampa bay buccaneers it's second down and six from the 11-yard line good snap mayfield looking Throws the ball left, uh, there's a caught ball, caught ball, touchdown, Cade, Tampa o- Bay, Cade Otten makes it over the shoulder catch, and the Bucks retake the lead. Yeah, they have one-on-one coverage, and you could tell by the body language of Mayfield, he was going to Otten the whole way, Before he gets number 20. Thrown, holding defense number 27, that penalty's declined, touchdown. Tremendous throw by Mayfield to put it in a perfect spot, That's a big play. The Tennessee Titans. This is second down. Give Henry turning the left side, diving. Touchdown tight, though! Derek Henry has knotted the count with 149 to go. On a three yard run, the Baltimore Ravens. Ethan Evans finding the Tylen Wallace. Evans hangs a wobbler, Wallace settles under it at the 25, gets a block, comes to the near side, 30, spins out of one tackle, 35, along the near sideline, 40. He's at midfield, Wallace to the 40, still in his feet, 30, 20, 10, celebration time, no flags, Wallace in the end zone, Hayes in the barn,
2: and the Ravens win it in overtime. What a weekend, if not for the Ravens snatching victory from the Jaws of Defeat against the Rams in OT, courtesy of that touchdown. And Jerry Sandusky on Ravens Radio, they would have been the seventh division leader to lose in a single weekend. But that did not happen. So that's a candidate for TD of the Week, as is Derrick Henry's go-ahead score as the Titans rally from 14 points down against the Dolphins in the final five minutes. 31 seconds to go is when Baker Mayfield finds Kate Otten for a game-winning touchdown and first place in the NFC South. Gene Deckerhoff on Bucks Radio and, sorry, Mike Keith on Titans Radio. And then Joe Flacco. Rides again. He says he feels like a 10-year-old. He's actually 38, but whatever. If Brady can do it, so can Flacco. And it's still weird to see him in brown and orange. Jim Donovan on Browns Radio is Flacco has three long touchdown passes to lead the Browns to another victory. They're now eight and five. So you can vote on Twitter, A-Law Radio. Also on our Facebook page after hours with Amy Lawrence, we're asking you about movie scripts in the making. I love your answers. The NFL has certainly provided plenty of great material that you almost wouldn't believe if you saw it on a movie screen. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, Tommy DeVito, undrafted rookie. It's an Italian thing. Tyson Bagent from a Division II school. Josh Dobbs. So the shines kind of come off of that one. Now, see, these are amazing stories. Uh, but we also have the other side of the spectrum from the world of sports.
3: Having a bad week. Oh! Bad decisions. I immediately regret this decision. Bad calls. You called me. I was illu- I was illusional. Bad bounces. Oh no. Bad luck. No! It definitely could be worse laugh it off with us (laughs) and the after hours sad sap of the week 22 seconds remaining Sohan comes the other way his
0: reverse layup is blocked by Jabari Smith and Fred VanVleet's going to be able to dribble it out the Rockets end this ball game in a 12 to 5 run they hand the Spurs a loss this evening the Spurs see their record drop to 3 and 19 it's a franchise record now for the Spurs, 17 losses in a row. As the Houston Rockets defeat the Spurs, the Spurs only shoot 36% from the floor in this ballgame. The final score from the Toyota Center, Rockets 93, Spurs 82.
3: you got to make a shot in the NBA. You, you can't shoot five for 41 from three. That's not going to happen. Uh, you know, what's really amazing about it is If you go five for 41, it's a lot of transition defense you're going to be in. And they got 10 fast break points. So they did a hell of a job defensively in that regard. Really proud of them. But just feel badly that we, you know, it's hard to uh, know what to do when you're missing that many shots. It just makes it very, very difficult.
2: Greg Popovich and the Spurs—they are definitely the sad saps. Though he claims that the Spurs played their ass off, they played a great game. They just couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And if you thought that was bad, courtesy of Spurs Radio, how about the Detroit Pistons' 20 straight losses? If you're Monty Williams, all you can do is point to any shred of hope.
3: As much as this losing um, hurts all of us, and it's—it hurts like you can't believe. Um, I still see a lot of growth, and, and I'm encouraged by some of the things I saw tonight. Now we got to try to build on it and, and get to a place where we, you know, have the lead, keep the lead, and close.
2: Are you kidding me? One team with 17 straight losses, the other team with 20 straight losses. Do you know Detroit is actually setting a new league mark? In a single season, no team has ever dropped 20 games in a row in a single season okay so the the rockets did it between 20 and 21 but here are the pistons and they can't seem to find a bright light anywhere oh yeah losing sucks so just in case you think your week is tough or you're scuffling you're struggling it could be worse you could be the spurs or the pistons It's After Hours here on CBS Sports Radio. We're going to get to your movie scripts in the making when we reconvene for The Hump Show, which is actually my last show before I skip out. See ya. Maybe, Jay, what do you think? Open phone lines for our next show, considering that you'll be eating broccoli and I'll be on cloud nine trying to keep my feet on the ground. I think that could be fun. All right, last show coming up tonight. Don't miss it. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Boom!